Pleasant good morning, wherever you are. Welcome to the 5th of October, 2021 Greenwich, a town for all seasons show podcast with Jeffrey Bingham Mead. That's me, by the way. This is the podcast where our journey takes us back through time and history of one of America's premier communities, and that would be the one and only Greenwich, Connecticut. I am a direct descendant of the 17th century founders of the town of Greenwich. As always, it is my sincerest pleasure to welcome you. Now, I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. <laughs> whether, whether you've been here in Greenwich for 381 years, or for that matter, 381 seconds, we welcome you with open arms. It's true. You are a part of our ongoing history, so congratulations. Now, I'm so glad that, that you could make it today, and right on time, too. Wow, I think that's really great. Now, is it my imagination? I'm sensing a lot of excitement out there as we're about to embark on yet another exploration and celebration of Greenwich, Connecticut's history and culture. So, my friends, without any further ado or delay, let's get started. Coming up on today's show. My friends, look up in the sky. Was it a bird? Was it a plane? Well, it sort of was. <laughs> the, the, the world inauguration of what was then called air truck delivery made its way to Greenwich on the 1st of November 1927. You'll hear about the cargo that was delivered by parachute, where it happened, and the crowd of onlookers who witnessed it all. Now, 100 years ago, 8 to 10 men believed to have been striking milk drivers of the Borton Milk Company dumped 300 quarts of milk into the Byram River. That wasn't very nice. Those of you who know me know that my day must start with coffee. There's no way about it. Coffee for Good is Greenwich's newest go-to destination for your coffee fix and more. Located in the newly renovated Mead House that was built in 1858 at 48 Maple Avenue behind the Second Congregational Church, patrons and visitors alike are immersed in a historic setting like no other in Greenwich, and you're invited, and I'll have more about that. Now, my friends, I need you to get out your thinking hats, especially those of you who are old-timers here in Greenwich. I really, really need your help. Help. Why? Well, sometimes I am even occasionally stumped with a Greenwich history question, and it happened again very recently, thanks to my friends Missy and Herbie Farquhar up in Banksville. My friend, have you heard of Piping Brook Farm? Well, I need your help. All right. <laughs> now, Halloween's coming, and I'm going to have a preview of, yes, you heard right, Cemeteries and burying grounds of a historic nature here in Greenwich. I'm also going to have news of public events, happenings, historical tidbits, and so much more. So, you know what you gotta do. Stick around. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these important messages. Support is made possible by... 
Peter F. Alexander, you are the best. A member of the American Society of Landscape Architects and the American Planning Association, he is the founder and principal of Peter F. Alexander Landscape Architect. He's been in business since 1979. He is the founder of the Soundshore Environmental Information Institute. His notable projects include the Olympic Training Center at Lake Placid, New York, the Calf Island Conservancy here in Greenwich, Connecticut, its master plan, numerous residential projects and really a whole lot more. I've spent some time with Peter F. Alexander. He's a very, very intelligent man, a very gregarious one, and knows a lot about landscape architecture. I have learned so much from him, and he's a terrific gentleman to do business with. You can learn more about this wonderful resident, Peter F. Alexander, who is such a mainstay here in Greenwich, at sitedesignassociates.com. That's site designassociates.com. You can also call him at 203-869-8632. Again, that's 203-869-8632. And please, by all means, when you do call Peter F. Alexander, be sure to mention that Jeffrey Bingham Mead sent you. We also welcome Long Island Sound Institute. The Long Island Sound Institute understands that a bright future relies on brilliant ideas and methods. The Institute aims to use modern planning and implementing new technology to conserve Long Island Sound. Looking forward to its stewardship in the area. To learn more about LISI, go on the web to www.lisistudy.info or call 475-897-5444. Again, that's 475 475- Eight nine seven five four four four. Before I get on with today's show, I have an urgent appeal that I would like to pass along to uh, all of you. Um, this is from the Greenwich Historical Society, uh, and it goes as follows: Due to the unprecedented flooding caused by Hurricane Ida. The Greenwich Historical Society's museum galleries, library, and archives are closed until further notice. Now, we are thankful that the National Historic Landmark Bush Holly House, our exhibit galleries, the Vanderbilt Education Center, and offices were not damaged. Other areas, including the library and archives, sustained significant water damage. Our staff members are safe and working on cleanup efforts to ensure the safety of our museum and archival collections and laying the groundwork for a timely remediation and reopening. At this time, we have made the difficult decision to postpone our upcoming exhibit, Life and Art, the Greenwich Paintings of John Henry Talkman, due to open October 6th, that would be tomorrow, to a date in the future. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to help the Greenwich Historical Society's cleanup and restoration efforts. Thank you for all you do to support our work to preserve and interpret Greenwich history. Our work is only possible thanks to the support of our members. To learn more, please go to GreenwichHistory.org again. That's GreenwichHistory.org. And if you would like to speak to someone at the Greenwich Historical Society, please call 203-869-6899. Again, that's 
Well, my friends, your opportunity to get hands-on with the Create in the Barn series is coming up at the Greenwich Historical Society. Now, mark your calendars for October 21, year 2021, of course, is coming up in a few weeks, Mixed Media Painting Workshop with Katie Gary. Now, for over a century, the Bush Holly House and Grounds have nurtured creativity, design, and artful living. Of course, it is the home of America's first uh, American Impressionist art colony in Cascob. This fall, join us for intimate hands-on workshops celebrating creative expression from floral design and painting to entertaining and decorating. Join us for cocktails and camaraderie presented with local realtor Karen McKenna and hosted in our historic barn. And again, the next one coming up is on October 21st, year 2021, Mixed Media Painting Workshop with Katie Gary. This is $80 for members, $90 for non-members, and you can learn more by going online to GreenwichHistory.org. Again, go online to GreenwichHistory.org. You can also call the Greenwich Historical Society anytime at area code 203-869-6899. You know, also at the Greenwich Historical Society, History in the Making Honoring the Philanthropy of Barbara and Ray Dalio is coming up on October 13, 2021. The Greenwich Historical Society's long-awaited History in the Making Award Dinner Honoring the Philanthropic Leadership of Barbara and Ray Dalio is set for October 13, so please mark your calendars. Philanthropist, author, and Carlisle Group founder David Rubenstein will interview the Dalios in an intimate conversation, and Indra Nui, the past honoree and former chairman of PepsiCo, will present the award. Proceeds from the event support the expansion of the Greenwich Historical Society's education programs, including its partnership with Title I schools in Greenwich. Individual tickets are now available, and again, you can go to GreenwichHistory.org. Again, GreenwichHistory.org. You can also call 203 869-6899. You know, my friends, I have an opportunity for you to be at a wonderful fundraiser on one of Greenwich's great estates, and this will, of course, help our good friends over the Greenwich Historical Society. I'm talking, of course, about the Full Fet, which is going to be held at Foundation House at Old Mill Farm. This is going to be on November 4th. And here is how it goes. Celebrate the best of fashion, art, and design at an evening in one of Greenwich's Elizabethan-style great estates. Presented in the tradition of Antiquarius, Falfet is a critical fundraiser benefiting Greenwich Historical Society's programs in education, historic preservation, and the arts. This year's event is presented by Oscar de la Renta, led by Chairs Holly Casson, Heather Georges, Deborah Schmidt-Robinson, and Catherine Tompkins, and supported by co-chairs Alexandra Kittel, Douglas Janetto, and Mimi Moulton. Site of the circa 1796 Sylvanus Selleck Grist Mill, listed on the National Register of Historic Places, the Old Mill Farm Estate was built in 1927, is the former estate of actor Mel Gibson, and is today the home of Foundation House. My friends, you can go online 
at GreenwichHistory.org. Again, GreenwichHistory.org. Uh, for more information and to purchase tickets, um, you can also call 203-869-6899. Again, that 203-869-6899. This really sounds like a fantastic or, uh, event to go to, and I invite you to attend. You know, slang expressions are nothing new in the English language, or any language for that matter, but I am going to share with you an expression that is probably very new to you, but actually was in use a hundred years ago. Have you heard the term mental butterflying? Again, mental butterflying. This is something that I have to admit is rather new to me, but actually it's quite quite old. It's a century old. Um, and I found this in an advertisement uh, in one of the Greenwich newspapers from uh, a century ago. And I'll just read it to you. It's an advertisement for, um, well, you'll see. I'm just going to read it to you. So here it goes. All right. Mental butterflying at 2 a.m. A great indoor sport for thoughtless people. Hmm. <laughs> one of the surest ways to become physically incapable of doing your best work is to get only snatches of sleep broken by disturbing dreams. If your sleep is being disturbed by drinking tea or coffee, you may be sowing the seeds of a nervous breakdown. Do not wait until your nerves are affected by the drugs therein and caffeine in tea or coffee. Protect your strength, vitality, and endurance. Have sound, restful sleep and wake refreshed and fit for any task. Postum, the delicious cereal beverage, with its golden brown richness and coffee-like taste, will let nature restore your coffee-irritated nerves and bring you sound, refreshing sleep. Postum is wholesome and acts in a normal way. It possesses the advantages, the advantages sorry, <laughs> of a hot drink, without the ill effects of tea or coffee. Drink postum for a week or two. See what a difference it will make in you. There's a reason. Postum comes in two forms. Instant postum, in tins, made instantly in the cup by the addition of boiling water. Postum cereal, in packages of larger bulk for those who prefer to make the drink while the meal is being prepared, made by boiling for 20 minutes at all grocers. So tell me, my friends, what do you think of that? You know, I, I'm going to give you an assignment, and here is your assignment. I want you to give me a definition, a 21st century definition or expression of what mental butterflying is. And you can do that by contacting me anytime at the following email address. Sorry, get out your paper and pen, and here we go. Greenwich, a town for all seasons at gmail.com. Let me repeat that for you. Greenwich, a town for all seasons at gmail.com. You address it to me, Jeffrey Bingham Mead. I am the host, of course. And let me know what you think mental butterflying means, a term or an expression, whatever, um, that is used today in the 21st century. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks a lot. 
In January 1914, an article appeared in the Greenwich News about a place in the harbor area that I am sure that many of you are very, very familiar with. Its name? Grass Island. <laughs> yes, it's true. Um, and this was about the uh, the plans to improve the uh, the site um, and to make it available to the public. I think it's probably the first mention of this um, in any of the press that I have seen. I sent this to Peter F. Alexander, the um, uh, the title sponsor of um, of this show, and uh, it was very very intriguing uh, reading for uh, for both of us. And I thought that um, on today's podcast I would share it with you. The edition is from January 30th, uh, 1914. It was on the first page of the Greenwich News, and it uh, is as uh, follows. The headline is Harbor Park, Splendid Plan for Civic Improvement of Greenwich. Unsightly Greenwich Harbor would be dredged and made available for pleasure and commercial craft and large area on border made into beautiful residence sites. The story goes as follows. I'm going to read it to you in, um, in full, so just follow along. A movement is on foot to eliminate the mudflats in Greenwich Harbor and in their place to provide a shore residential park, which will remove an eyesore and be of great benefit to the town in many ways. The Greenwich Harbor Improvement Corporation has filed a certificate of organization with the Secretary of State to begin business with $12,000 capital. The officers are Howard Pardee, President, Frank R. Schell, Vice President, and Charles V. Thackeray, Secretary and Treasurer. These men are all high in financial affairs in New York and Philadelphia, and have been interested in the improvement of Greenwich Harbor by Lawrence Timmons, the local real estate broker, and have promised to finance the undertaking of beautifying Greenwich Harbor, providing the property owners thereabouts will show their public spirit in aiding in all ways possible. This harbor can be made one of the prettiest harbors on the Sound. In its center is a six-acre tract known as Grass Island, which is submerged at high tide, which can be easily filled in, making a 10-acre tract. On its east side, the harbor line has been already settled and the harbor dredged. The plans of the Harbor Improvement Corporation are to dredge the channel west of Grass Island, build a seawall, and fill in the low land between the wall and the Belhaven Shore Road, thus making a harbor direct to the dock in front of the former Green Court Inn property, and which is now a public dock. Plans have been prepared for these improvements and can be seen at Mr. Timmons' office. There are some six or seven property owners along the shore road and must be consulted and their land purchased in order to make the improvement contemplated. Grass Island must also be purchased from its owner, Oliver D. Mead, and there are other negotiations, all of which must be arranged for before one hit of improvement will be started. Mr. Mead owns about 1,000 feet shore frontage adjoining Field Point Park, 
and should he sell Grass Island and assist in the improvement plan, his field point land would doubtless double in value. All the other property owners along the shore road would be benefited, and it is believed that inasmuch as there has been much talk of the town condemning Grass Island and using the same for a sewer disposal plant, <clears throat> the property owners thereabouts will be only too anxious to assist in a movement calculated to improve their property rather than run the risk of having something undesirable in front of them in the harbor. Mr. Timmons, who conceived the idea, having in mind the beautifying of the town, is to be complimented for his foresight, and the news's trusts that he will receive cooperation of all property owners in that section of town. One of the plans of the Improvement Corporation, as the news understands it, is to have the property restricted so that all buildings shall be of a style of architecture which will be pleasing to the eye, and the cost of buildings restricted. The present owners might reserve certain right to the harbor also. This is one of the largest real estate plans of the present year. The men who form the corporation are all desirous of locating in Greenwich. They own their private yachts, and they want access to the harbor. They are willing to spend a large amount of money in improving the harbor and building their own homes. A quarter million dollars, it is said, is available. The Improvement Association also plans to take all the dock property south of the railroad station, including the Smith Dock and Crosby Mill, and eliminating the obnoxious basin just south of the railroad. So there, my friends, you have it. If you ever go over uh, anytime soon to Grass Island, or if you've been there, you just got a little bit of history. This dates from the Greenwich News, dated January 30th, 1914, page one. My friends, a century ago, there was a strike of milk drivers of the Borden Milk Company. Um, it made some of the news here in Greenwich in, in uh, November 4th, 1921, um, again in the Greenwich News and uh, Graphic, uh, there was an article that mentioned uh, the dumping of uh, 300 quarts of uh, Borden milk into the Byram River, um, and um, I'd like to uh, to share this with you. Um, eight or ten men believed to have been striking milk drivers of the Borden Milk Company held up a motor truck owned by Duran Brothers in which there were some 300-quart bottles of milk in cases and threw the entire load into the Byram River early Tuesday evening. Steve Carpenter, colored, driver of the truck, was proceeding along Main Street, Porchester, in a drizzling rain when the strikers jumped aboard the truck and ordered him to turn into Mill Street and stop his machine on the Mill Street Bridge, which divides New York and Connecticut. The cases of milk were then thrown into the Byram River, after which the driver was allowed to return to Greenwich with his empty truck. The milk was being taken to the Coscob School for emergency sales, the motor truck having been hired for that purpose by I.J. Mosbach, superintendent of the boarding company. 
It was about 5.30 Tuesday evening when the holdup took place. A few minutes later, another truck belonging to H.G. Drinkwater Sons was stopped in a similar manner, but as the driver, James Golden, had no cases of milk aboard, the strikers did not detain him. A peculiar feature of the case is the fact that that although there were many persons up and down the street at the time, no one took any particular notice of what was going on, although some said afterward that they were remembered seeing a number of men on the truck but thought nothing of it at the time. Support is made possible by... Peter F. Alexander, you are the best. A member of the American Society of Landscape Architects and the American Planning Association, he is the founder and principal of Peter F. Alexander Landscape Architect. He's been in business since 1979. He is the founder of the Soundshore Environmental Information Institute. His notable projects include the Olympic Training Center at Lake Placid, New York, the Calf Island Conservancy here in Greenwich, Connecticut, its master plan, numerous residential projects, and really a whole lot more. I've spent some time with Peter F. Alexander. He's a very, very intelligent man, a very gregarious one, and knows a lot about landscape architecture. I have learned so much from him, and he's a terrific gentleman to do business with. You can learn more about this wonderful resident, Peter F. Alexander, who is such a mainstay here in Greenwich, at sitedesignassociates.com. That's site designassociates.com. You can also call him at 203-869-8632. Again, that's 203-869-8632. And please, by all means, when you do call Peter F. Alexander, be sure to mention that Jeffrey Bingham Meads sent you. We also welcome Long Island Sound Institute. The Long Island Sound Institute understands that a bright future relies on brilliant ideas and methods. The Institute aims to use modern planning and implementing new technology to conserve Long Island Sound. Looking forward to its stewardship in the area. To learn more about LISI, go on the web to www.lisistudy.info or call 475-897-5444. Again, that's 475 475- Eight nine seven five four four four. The Greenwich Historical Society's annual Fall Festival is on Saturday, October 9, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., and you're invited. Bring the whole family for a festive day on the beautiful Historical Society campus at 47th Strickland Road in Coscob. Sing and dance with the Trummy Tones, compete in the annual Scarecrow Building Competition, paint like the Coscob Art Colony Impressionists did, and help create a community masterpiece. Tickets are available online. $50 per family for members, $60 per family for non-members includes Scarecrow Supplies. For more information and tickets for all fall programming, visit GreenwichHistory.org or call 203-869-6899. Again, for more information and tickets for all fall programming, visit GreenwichHistory.org or call 203-869-6899. 
By the way, speaking of the Greenwich Historical Society, a couple of other um, updates. There are They are very, very happy, I should say, to announce several new employment opportunities at the Greenwich Historical Society, including managers in visitor services, public programs and exhibitions, curatorial support, and, uh, and what have you. Volunteers in the museum store, sales, visitor experience, special events, garden green team. That sounds like fun. Uh, getting your hands dirty. I guess, or museum docent roles are always welcome. Um, they say that, quote, our work is strengthened by a wide range of perspectives, personality, skills, and experiences of our present and future staff and are dedicated to a policy of non-discrimination in employment on any basis. Now, for more information about uh, these uh, employment and volunteer opportunities. Um, you can inquire with Laura Kelly uh, at the Greenwich Historical Society. Her email address is lkelly, that's L-K-E-L-L-Y, at greenwichhistory.org. Again, that's L-K-E-L-L-Y at greenwichhistory.org. The other day I was walking by the Bush Holly House and I noticed that there were some workmen that were uh, working on the front porches. And uh, there is some mention of this in the recent fall 2021 newsletter, the Greenwich Historical Society. Let me just share this with you. They say the Bush Holly House will reopen this September after undergoing a series of restoration projects to ensure its continued preservation. Since late June, craftsmen have been working on both interior and exterior areas of the house, replacing aging wood siding and carefully restoring the house's historic window panes to provide improved insulation and prepare for future installation of UV filtering storm inserts. This fall, workers will begin repairs to the house's iconic two-story front porches to ensure that they will remain sturdy and safe for visitors in the decades to come. Stay tuned for updates as we work to preserve this National Historic Landmark. You know, I have been a member of the Greenwich Historical Society since the 1980s. Well, it's true. I know that's a long time, but you know what? It's been worth it. And I am inviting you to also join the Greenwich Historical Society, or if you have not done so, to please renew your membership. I have to tell you, my friends at the Greenwich Historical Society derive a great deal of pressure hosting visitors at the museum buildings, at the galleries, at the museum store, uh, at the Bush Holly House, uh, at the lovely gardens and grounds. It, it's really uh, just a wonderful thing to, um, uh, to behold. You often hear me say that you are a part of our history. Um, and visits to the Greenwich Historical Society at 47 Strickland Road in Coscob are engaging, fun, and they are educational for all. It really is your chance, whether you are a newcomer to uh, to Greenwich, Connecticut, uh, or uh, you are a, a resident of uh, many, many years, it really is your chance to connect with um, Greenwich's stories, past, present, and even be part of the future, as well as understand why these stories and our history are so significant. We want you to become a part of this special community, and so you are invited Absolutely. You know, visitors are an essential part of the Greenwich Historical Society's fabric. Um, the museum experience and feedback that, uh, that you provide guides the Greenwich Historical Society in making its exhibits and programs more engaging, fun, and educational. 
Now, my friends there understand that you want to feel connected to the stories we present as well as understand why those stories are significant. We at the Greenwich Historical Society want you to become a part of that community. And the very fact that you are able to enjoy the collections on site and online is a result of the Greenwich Historical Society's ongoing investment in its physical and digital museum. So, my friends, on behalf of the Greenwich Historical Society, I would like to ask you to uh, to help out uh, by becoming a member uh, or renewing your membership or even just making a donation uh, today. You know, there are multiple membership levels uh, that are in place, and the privileges of each me- membership are available online at GreenwichHistory.org. Now, no membership is too small to make a difference. So joining and or renewing is uh, is easy. You can do it, and uh, you can do it by um, by envelope, which you can pick up or, or have mailed to you from the Greenwich Historical Society. Um, probably the best way to do it, which is the way that I do it, is by um, doing so online through the website at GreenwichHistory.org. You just go through the menu. You'll see where um, it, it is that you go, and it's very, very easy to do online and very secure by by the way, I want to emphasize that to you. Now, one person that uh, that you can uh, contact is Laura Kelly. She is in charge of membership and development. Um, she can be reached at 203-869-6899. My friends, I want to thank you very, very much uh, as a descendant of the founders of Greenwich, Connecticut, uh, for your interest in preserving our history and culture, and especially in supporting the ongoing mission, the ongoing work of the Greenwich Historical Society either as a donor or as a member or even both. Thank you very, very much. And you know what? You'll probably see me on campus. And if you do, you know, let's uh, let's socialize, shall we? You know, I'm over there as often as I can. And so please, um, it's a great place to be. It's uh, just a wonderful staff and a wonderful experience. So thank you. The other day I was walking down Greenwich Avenue. You know that I have this obsession with daily hikes around town. I I love seeing the landscape of the town of Greenwich uh, on foot. I urge you to do the same, of course, you know, being a little bit wary of speeding cars and trucks that may be going by. But anyway, I was going down Greenwich Avenue um, and um, I heard a buzzing noise. You know, I I don't think it was anything in my head, uh, but uh, I I did look overhead. And what did I see? But I saw a drone. Now, drones uh, are a very recent um, uh, technology uh, that that have uh, taken over at least some of the skies. Uh, I don't know what the drone was doing there. It was floating around um, and flying around rather um, above Greenwich Avenue. Maybe it had a a camera attached to it or something. I I don't know. But anyway, uh, the reason why I I mentioned this is that I was, you know, hiking down Greenwich Avenue going for my, you know, usual, um, you know, coffee fix. And um, as I was uh, doing some research for this uh, show, I stumbled upon a story uh, that dates from 1927, uh, from November 1907 in particular. Um, And quite frankly, uh, when I saw this, it kind of reminded me of that uh, particular moment, but in a bit of a different way. I shared this with Christopher Shields, the um, uh, director of the archives at the Greenwich Historical Society, and also with John Bridges. He is the, uh, the researcher over there. And quite frankly, we all had a good laugh over this. And I said, you know, I said, I got to share this with my audience. I absolutely have to. It was at that year, that time, that 
a new service was inaugurated. You know, drones are very, very new about, you know, delivering things, taking pictures and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, but this was something very different called airplane truck delivery. <laughs> and this is 1927. You know, that's a long, long time ago. And this made uh, this made front page news um, in Greenwich because it was in this town that um, it was the scene of one of the first instances of air delivery uh, ever in the United States. There were other uh, towns and cities uh, in the area and along the eastern seaboard uh, that were a part of this, but Greenwich was very much a part of this. So I'd, I'd like to, um, uh, to share this with you. It's a very interesting story. So follow along if you would, uh, please. Uh, my, my source on this is the Greenwich News and Graphic, uh, November 4th, 1927. This made the first page. So here we go. The headline reads, Airplane Truck Delivers Here. Consignment of typewriters dropped from the sky by parachute. Imagine a crate of, um, of parachutes coming out of the sky uh, into your yard or someplace else. Well, it happened. It really did here in downtown Greenwich. Um, in fact, the next time uh, you venture by the um, Hevemeyer building where the Board of Education is uh, based, uh, or even the Greenwich Town Hall, go over to the uh, the playing field uh, behind uh, both buildings, and that's Havemeyer Field, and this is where it happened. So you can actually stand there and uh, and listen to this. Uh, and so here we go. All right. Flying in advancement of its schedule and attracting much attention in Greenwich, as well as other eastern towns and cities, the world's first air delivery truck made its trip from Hartford, Connecticut on Wednesday, carrying a cargo of portable typewriters from the Hartford factory of the Royal Typewriter Company, its destination being the firm's agency in Havana, Cuba. That's right, Havana, Cuba. All right. Three of these typewriters, packed in a large box, were safely landed at Havemeyer Field here by means of a new parachute attachment which permits of the delivery of packages of typewriters from the air. Pilot Collins, a well-known ace during the World War, this being World War I, with his assistants, made a record flight on Wednesday, making eight deliveries in eight cities in an hour and a half. These included Hartford, Meriden, Wallingford, Bridgeport, Norwalk, Stamford, and Greenwich. The start was made from Hartford. The Ford plane was due in Greenwich at 11.30 a.m. Wednesday, but arrived about 11.15, and after circling about the Havermeyer Field three times, the parachute with the box of typewriters was let loose from the plane and gracefully floated down to the field, dropping within 30 feet of a large white letter T, the mark designated on the field to guide the pilot in dropping the parachute. The package was released at an altitude of several hundred feet, and its downward plunge was immediately arrested by the opening of the parachute which caused its burden to sway and swing back and forth like a pendulum in a wide area 
as it descended rapidly, and it seemed as if the box must be smashed to pieces if it had struck the ground while at the center of its swing. But happily, its last swing was just high enough to clear the ground, and on its return trip, before it could gather headway, it touched the ground and was deposited on the turf as gently as it could have been done by hand, and without a perceptible jar. It was a beautiful delivery. As soon as the parachute was safely landed, Arthur S. Todd, manager of the Mead Stationery Company, for whom the typewriters were consigned, took charge of the box, as well as the parachute, which has to be returned to the Royal Typewriter Company in Hartford. A tremendous crowd of onlookers had assembled on the field. The hundreds of children in the Havermeyer School, which suspended exercises for the time, being out in full force, and the adjacent terrace wall of the high school grounds being crowded from one end to the other to witness the delivery. The scene around the grounds resembled the multitudes at the Danbury Fair. Upon its return to Hartford from Havana, the air truck will continue its flights, eventually making deliveries to more than 500 distribution points in all parts of the country. According to an announcement made by George Ed Smith, president of the company, the establishment of the air delivery service came after a thorough study of the practicality of such an enterprise and was only undertaken when it was proven to be economically sound. Quote, I am absolutely convinced of the future of this commercial aviation, unquote, said Mr. Smith. Quote, and before long, I prophesize that the phrase by air truck will be as familiar as the significant as by airmail is now. Quote, we inaugurated this air delivery service only after assuring ourselves that it would be a profitable investment. The rapid delivery of merchandise by air delivery trucks, making possible the immediate filling of emergency orders and the relative cheapness of this form of transportation when the speed factor is considered, convinced us that the institution of the service would be a dividend-paying proposition. This service, at any rate, is our contribution to the practical use of airplanes in the service of commerce. The new air delivery truck is a tri-motored, all-metal Ford plane with a cruising radius of 500 miles and especially designed throughout to promote the use for which it is constructed. In appearance, the plane resembles an enormous delivery truck with wings. It is powered with three right whirlwind motors of the type used by Colonel Lindbergh, Commander Byrd, and Chamberlain on their transatlantic flights, and has a wing spread of 74 feet. The interior of the plane contains rows of racks for 200 portable typewriters, together with a small desk at which a shipping clerk will do his billing, routing, and correspondence. The plane will cover most of the country during the next six months, delivering rush-order cargoes, 
Its parachute arrangement will permit it to make many more deliveries a day than would be possible if the plane had to descend each time. The parachute landings will be made at prearranged points where company agents will be stationed to receive the merchandise. So remember, there, my friends, is... Well, there you go. How about that? So the next time you look up in the sky, watch out for a parachute with, uh, well, we, we don't really use typewriters anymore. So, um, you know, just pick your, your, your product or merchandise and uh, <laughs> go from there. But can you imagine standing, if you would, as I did uh, just the other day um, at, the, um, uh, at the top of, um, of Havermeyer Field, just behind the, um, uh, the town hall and looking down and seeing one of these planes flying overhead and dropping a crate of, um, of typewriters into, uh, um, into Havermeyer Field uh, with crowds on both sides uh, looking down. It must have been quite a sight. So there you go, another facet of our history that I hope uh, that you enjoyed. So again, as always, thank you. This has been a very exciting time for those of us who are either members or friends of the Second Congregational Church, which is located um, at 139 East Putnam Avenue. It's the very tall stone-spired edifice that you see at the intersection of East Putnam Avenue and uh, and Maple Avenue. Uh, there's always something exciting going on at the Second Congregational Church, but in particular, the, the Mead Parish House, or Mead House as it is today known, um, has been the scene of extensive renovations and restoration work, probably the most extens- extensive uh, since the house was uh, built in uh, 1856 to 1858, when it was uh, completed. Um, The Solomon Mead House, uh, as it is also known, um, is an exciting hub these days. And one of the reasons for that is because something very, very new and exciting has been established there. And I want to tell you a little bit about it. It's called Coffee for Good. And it is a unique nonprofit enterprise. Um, it is an independent nonprofit. It's modeled after other coffee shops, and what they do is that they employ people with intellectual and developmental disabilities and provide them with training. So this isn't your regular, uh, you know, coffee shop like the ones that you see on Greenwich Avenue and um, other places, not only here in Greenwich but elsewhere. This is a place where those with intellectual and developmental disabilities are actually trained. It's a it's a marvelous collaboration between the Second Congregational Church and Abelis, uh, but it's truly, truly, truly unique. Um, Coffee for Good is um, again it's a training program, um, and um, and its uh, founder Deb Rogan uh, I have asked to be on the show. Uh, she is a marvelous soul um, who has spearheaded uh, this this new enterprise and really transformed uh, that house into a, a marvelous hub of activity. Now again uh, the the house was built in 1858 in the style of an Italianate villa. Um, it just underwent underwent uh, structural renovations. I had the privilege of uh, being uh, given a tour by uh, Deb Rogan of the um, of the interior of the house, and marvelous! My goodness, what an extraordinary place uh, that has uh, turned out uh, to be. Now, Mead House is set in a spacious tree lined lot on the uh, Second Congregational Church campus. There is ample free parking, um, and that is a huge plus, as many of you know here in Greenwich. It is 
sit back from the road. And what's wonderful and what I love about Coffee for Good is that customers like me, and hopefully like you if you haven't been there yet, will enjoy their, their gourmet coffee either inside uh, the charming wood-paneled cafe um, it is decorated with artwork created by ableist clients or, you know, um, they're receding outside over on the terrace as well. Um, it has opened. It offers a wide variety of teas and coffees, smoothies, pastries, salads and sandwiches. It really is an ideal destination any time of the um, of the uh, day. They also sell uh, fresh uh, bags of coffee and merchandise such as uh, T-shirts, uh, travel mugs and, um, and hats and um, and and so much for um you know it's 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 a wonderful collaboration with uh, with ableist probably one of the uh, of the most popular and innovative nonprofits for uh those with intellectual and uh, other developmental disabilities um and uh, and they are doing fantastic work now i'll tell you if you would like uh to learn more if you would like to volunteer or donate you can visit coffeeforgood.org again that's coffee forgood.org. By the way, they are open Monday through Saturday, 8 a.m. until 5 p.m. Uh, and uh, I go over there at least uh, a couple of times a week. Who knows? I might even run, uh, run into you there. When you walk into the front door, you just turn over to uh, to the left and you walk into what was the main parlor. Um, and yes, this particular meat house is associated with me and my family. But, you know, you just can't get away from it. You um, you really can't. But the ambiance, uh, the the restoration of the uh, of the interior of the house, Top to bottom, it it, it really, in, in a time when we have seen so many demolitions of our historic sites in uh, in Greenwich, I think most of them quite senseless, if you um, if you ask me, uh, but this is one that has uh, shined like a star. Um, on the Greenwich landscape um, as uh, as never before. It uh, it really is a wonderful place. I ask you please to make coffee for good at eight forty eight. Maple Avenue, uh, your coffee destination. Um, and again, perhaps you will see me there as as well. So please, I look forward to seeing you there. And of course, if you do, stop by, say hi, and let's socialize. Well, needless to say, my friends, Halloween is coming up later on this month, and it is associated with a number of things, historic and otherwise, and one of those, of course, being burying grounds and cemeteries. And we have quite a few of those in Greenwich. In fact, I think we have over 63 cemeteries and burying grounds of various sizes all throughout the uh, the town of Greenwich, the oldest one being Tomac Cemetery, um, which is in Old Greenwich on Tomac Avenue. It is owned and maintained by the First Congregational Church. In fact, my original ancestors, uh, among others of other families, are buried there. Um, and so we're going to be uh, talking quite a bit in upcoming uh, podcast shows about cemeteries, burying grounds, how uh, Halloween was celebrated, about Halloween pranks. There were a few of those uh, and so on and um, and so forth uh, to uh, to get us started as we start to close today's uh, podcast show. I wanted to share with you um, uh, one that I am particularly familiar with growing up in the uh, the Round Hill section of the backcountry, and that one being Burying Hill. It is located on, appropriately, Burying Hill Road, um, not far, in fact, from uh, the intersection with uh, Round Hill Road. 
Um, and so I have I wrote an article about this that um, was published in the Greenwich Time in uh, November 23rd, 1990. Um, and it was during a time when I was a very, very active member of the uh, the board at the Greenwich Historical Society. One of the things that we did under um, uh, Claire Vanderbilt's leadership uh, was to form a burial grounds uh, committee. We had found uh, in doing a survey of the cemeteries and burying grounds in Greenwich, a survey that hadn't been done, um, as uh, as I recall, since the 1930s and 1940s. Uh, so that was a very, very long, uh, long time ago. Uh, but we found that there were many that were neglected, that were um, overgrown. Some of them had been lost. Um, and so we took it upon ourselves with the cooperation of the uh, Parks and Trees Department of the, um, of the town government, uh, scouting groups, uh, neighborhood organizations, um, families, and others uh, to uh, to clean up these places and to draw attention uh, to their preservation uh, and research their histories. So this one over in um, in Round Hill called Burying Hill is one that uh, I was always very, very interested in growing up in the area. It's about a third of an acre. Um, I grew up with it uh, being very overgrown and neglected. Of course, that was changed um, uh, thanks to uh, to our efforts. We had scouting groups that went in and cleaned up. And by the way, the neighborhood uh, organization of uh, property owners in the area took over the care of the place. That was a huge plus um, and, and all. Um, the vast majority of the stones here are just plain fieldstone markers. They are not marked or carved um, in any way. Uh, quite frankly, when we found them, they seemed to struggle for uh, for recognition above the uh, the, gre- uh, the the weeds and the um, overgrowth. And believe it or not, back in my um, teenage and college years, I really didn't know that I would be back here to uh, not only help clean up this particular site, but to explore its um, its mysteries. Um, it is the oldest graveyard in uh, the Round Hill section of uh, Greenwich. It's at the top of a very notoriously steep hill, known to us more um, uh, for its reputation as a traffic hazard in the winter snow uh, than for um, its uh, enigmatic uh, legends in, uh, in local history. Um, uh, it is today surrounded by um, estates uh, in uh, some of the most exclu- exclusive ones, um, including Dunellen Hall, uh, which um, some of you uh, may have known was owned by uh, Leona and uh, and Harry Helmsley uh, for a number of years. Uh, 200 years ago, um, most of this area was, of course, wooded uh, or sparsely settled uh, farmland. Um, and so the earliest graved, carves, uh, carved gravestone that, uh, that we found here was a small fieldstone marker with the date 1762, May 3rd. Um, the identity of the soul underneath is unknown, and I hate to say it, but it's likely to stay that way. If there were any written records of those who were buried here, they are long gone, unfortunately. Now, among a number of the other gravestones uh, that are carved uh, and recognizable is a tall marble gravestone fairly close to the road, and it belonged to Nehemiah and Sophia Brown, who died in 1810 and 1796, respectively. It's uh, made of, uh, of marble. Um, it has an urn, uh, as I recall, em, em, uh, emblazoned on uh, the top of the, uh, the front face. If you go to the first church of Round Hill, at the intersection of Round Hill Road and John Street, to the western or right or left side rather of the church, uh, there is a uh, colonial house that is there, and that house is one that is associated with uh, these two individuals, Nehemiah and Sophia Brown. Now, nearby is a marble memorial that um, is. 
the gravesite of uh, Joe Jonathan Knapp. He died on June 8th, 1796. He was aged 44 years, and there is an epitaph uh, that reads as follows. Though all created light decay, and death close up our eyes, thy presence makes eternal day, where clouds can never rise. Now, nearby, there is a grave marker of Rachel, the wife of Phineas Rundle, um, and um, uh, she lies uh, nearby. Actually, the stone is leaning, uh, as I last recall, against the, uh, the stone wall. And her epitaph says, Hark from the tomb, a doleful sound. I don't know, what is a doleful sound? Maybe you can tell me. Uh, contact me at GreenwichAtownForAllSeasons at gmail.com and tell me what you think a doleful sound is. Uh, uh, you know, so the Rundles, like the uh, the Knapps, Browns, and other families, were um, were an old family in uh, Round Hill, Greenwich. In fact, you can see run, one of the Rundle family homesteads. Um, it is located at the intersection of Lake Avenue and Lower Cross Road. Uh, that is also another very memorable uh, intersection in town. By the way, that has been fixed up and made very, very nice. Thank, uh, thankfully for the uh, for the town for doing that. Um, now, uh, of course, others who um, uh, uh, lived in the area are interred in the cemetery. Uh, proper spelling and sentence structure were not among the finer skills of those who carved many of the earliest tombstones in Burying Hill and elsewhere. Um, so, for example, there is one um, uh, that uh, that says, or, or it's dated uh, June 3rd, 1766, uh, the initials are for are on the letters I K, um, uh, perhaps probably of a member of the um, uh, of the Knapp family. But the thing is that it says June ye three A D seventeen sixty six. The letter D in A D is uh, is backwards. Um, one uh, stone that intrigued me concerned the inscription on a simple fieldstone marker of Amy Palmer, and she died in 1801. Um, apparently, the the carver, whoever um, he was, apparently forgetting to properly line up the name and date in separate lines, it, it just did it in run-on fashion. So it says, Amy Palmer deceased, 1801, 44 years. And again, it's just a run-on, no spaces or anything uh, like that. Another distinctive marker was here lies the body of William Rundle, who died November 1788. Um, the marker is also, again, of local fieldstone and, um, and all, and it was just one that, uh, that intrigued me. Now, almost all of the fieldstone gravestones in the center of Burying Hill have no inscriptions. Um, they hide forever whoever it is that is uh, buried there. Um, but there is a tale that is passed down um, in uh, Spencer Mead's history of, um, of uh, Greenwich um, that comes from the uh, Revolutionary War period that may unlock uh, the mystery of, um, of those who were interred here. Now, history records an incident uh, in which the notorious British General Tarleton and soldiers under his command were returning from a raid. They were ambushed in the area of John Street, um, uh, probably closer to where Riverville Road is, by the local citizenry, and many of the British soldiers were killed or wounded. Spencer P. Mead, um, uh, well, back in, um, in the day, in 1911, uh, wrote um, the following, quote, the whole populace around collected in front of the enemy to attack and worry on their return. An ambuscade was formed at the defile at Round Hill, where the road passes through steep rocks overgrown with thick laurel. 
At other places on the return, the British and Tories were sorely pressed, but here are a deadly fire poured upon them, killing and wounding the great numbers. Now, I have probably, well, I, I believe, let's put it that way, that it's probable that these soldiers and Tories um, uh, who were killed in this battle in uh, Round Hill were probably interred in Burying Hill um, and uh, because it was the only cemetery um, in the area. And uh, this explains the, uh, the rows of fieldstone markers. Of course, we're never going to, um, uh, to know. I'll tell you, Burying Hill will no doubt continue to intrigue and fascinate others now and in future generations. I think that one of the fun things, of course, is contemplating the uh, the secrets and the mysteries of um, uh, of cemeteries and uh, burying grounds. Um, and um, we're very grateful for the fact that from the experiences that we started back in the um, in the late 1980s, leading up to the 350th anniversary of Greenwich's founding in 1990, uh, that um, people came together uh, to not only tackle the um, uh, the problems uh, associated with cleaning up these cemeteries, but have since uh, stayed around and uh, continued to care for them. My friends, as you go into these cemeteries and burying grounds, remember that not all of them are um, are open to the public. Uh, some are private, and if they are off limits to you, we do ask, please, that you just um, you know respect that. Um, but um, also, uh, I do invite you to go into some of the more visible cemeteries, Union Cemetery, Tomac, First Congregational, um, Union Cemetery I mentioned on Millbank Avenue. The one next to the uh, Second Congregational Church um, is uh, is one that is particularly historic. Uh, I've actually been asked uh, to, uh, to lead uh, cemetery tours. And um, if the weather holds up, I just might do that. So if you're interested in that, um, and maybe, maybe getting a tour of uh, some of these cemeteries and burying grounds. I'd be more than happy to do it. Again, um, you might have to bring an umbrella if the, um, uh, if the weather doesn't hold up, but uh, please contact me with your interest at Greenwich, a town for all seasons at gmail.com. Again, that's Greenwich, a town for all seasons at gmail.com. And maybe in the subject box, uh, label it, um, you know, cemetery tour, something like that. I don't know, but definitely I'll get it. So again, uh, do that and uh, let's see what we can do. Sounds like fun. Thank you very much for listening to the 5th of October 2021 podcast of the Greenwich, a town for all seasons show. My name is Jeffrey Binghamid. And as I have said before, I am a direct descendant of the 17th century founders of Greenwich. It's really been a pleasure having you uh, with me today. Now, don't forget, I've given you an assignment. I need you to help me find Piping Brook Farm. We know that it is located in the northeastern part of Greenwich, in the Banksville area, Stanwich area, maybe over into, um, into Stamford. Um, we don't know, but if you know where Piping Brook Farm is, I would love it if you would contact me at GreenwichAtownForAllSeasons at gmail.com. Now, one of the things that I would like to do is that I want to end with a quote, uh, that, and uh, this is from Mark Twain. You know who he is. Well, I love this quote, and I give this to you in the spirit that in which it is written. He said, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the one you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, 
dream and discover, unquote. And you know what? I'd like you to do that when it comes to um, Greenwich and uh, its history and its culture. Go out there, explore, immerse yourself in the wonderful blessings that the town of Greenwich, Connecticut offers those who are visitors and also those who reside here. Please, there is so much to see and so much to do, so much to preserve. The work goes on. We ask you please to help us preserve our landscape and our culture and our historic places, including our historic homes. It really is deeply appreciated, not only for ourselves, but for future generations to come. You can learn more about this podcast by going to Greenwich at Town for All Seasons.blogspot.com. And as always, you can contact me anytime by emailing me at Greenwich at Town for All Seasons at gmail.com. Again, I'm Jeffrey Bingham Mead, your host, and I look forward to taking you on yet another exploration of Greenwich, Connecticut's history. I look forward to it, and we'll see you then. Thank you so much for being with us today. Bye-bye now.